Hey, it's Peter here with my FSHD. Saturday morning, so we're going to do one of our short, uh, informative uh, episodes where we're going to, you know, take a topic that's really important to understand so that you can understand future podcasts and understand the literature and such what people are talking about. Last last week we did uh, FSHD one and FSHD two uh, genetics. This week we're going to do epigenetics, the epigenetics of FSHD, right? So you might, but you know, brief this step back for just a say. I know you know people have said, when do you ever get your work done? And well, you know, here it is 10 a.m. Saturday morning. This is what I'm doing. I'm in my office uh, doing the podcast. Uh, Taka goes in the lab doing muscle cell culture. I have a transformation going on the site. Now that kind of takes a good hour or so to go. You know, Carice was already in this morning and gone, gone. Oh, and as soon as the Man United game's over, Andrea's going to be in. Uh, you know, Ning will be in today. Ben will be in. Hannah, everybody's in. You know, research is not a nine to five job. So you know, it's five days a week. If that's what you want, don't go into research. It is, it is, it dominates your life because you, you are, you know, the, the mice need to be taken care of. The cells need to be taken care of. You can't just, you know, then no, nothing goes on vacation. You don't go on really on vacation, it seems like. Um, but this is how it is all around the world. You know, labs are open all the time. People are working, you know, day and night to cure FSHD, and we love it. We love doing it, and we want to stop doing it and get onto some other disease or go fishing or something. But, you know, we're hammering away at it. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to be doing the Friends of FSH Fundraiser and Science Report. Uh, they have their annual event. Uh, Rick and Terry Colella do such a great job with the Friends of FSH Research. They're great supporters of the Jones Lab, at least, and, um, and a lot of labs around the world. Um, really great foundation. And so really encourage you all to, to tune in and support, see what they've been, see what's been going on in their auctions. They got some really great stuff on the auction site. So we'll be doing that this afternoon. And then next week, heading off to Muscular Dystrophy Association MDA Clinical Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, for it's what, Monday through Wednesday. Going to be talking uh, FSHD, you know, try, basically showing people there, spreading the word, what's available tools-wise. I'll be talking about all the ma animal models available for FSH research. And we're going to try to recruit, you know, get get pharma companies more. I, I want more. We got a bunch of pharma companies. I want more. I want everybody to have an FSHD program because we're going to we're going to fix this and then we're going to fix it better. And that's, you know, things, you know, first generation drug is good, but not good enough, whatever it turns out to be. So anyway, that's, you know, we're, we're always we're always doing FSHD, so don't sweat it. All right, so epigenetics. So epigenetics is context-dependent, uh, sequence-independent uh, genome regulation, right? If you take the same DNA sequence, the same genetic sequence, and you put it in a different cellular context, like a cellular environment, that's epigenetic. You can be in an environment that is very fluffy and open and, and wonderful um, for gene expression, and that's epigenetically on, sort of called euchromatin, euchromatic environment. It's an open environment. It doesn't mean the gene's on, but it means that the environment has the, the gene has the capacity to be on. Um, and the, Or it can be heterochromatic or epigenetically off, very refractory, like a slinky crunched up or a piece of paper really crunched up tight. And these are inaccessible DNA, the same sequence, so it can be inaccessible and 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 you know compact or very accessible and and non-compact um so that's the, the idea of epigenetics and so i was trying to think of a way to kind of get this across the other aspect of epigenetics that's really important that separates it from standard gene regulation is cellular memory in fact that is actually the key factor in epigenetic regulation is cellular memory it is this environment, this context is remembered. So it's it's gene activity in the absence of signal, okay? 
the cell remembers that a gene should be on and it keeps it on after the signal to turn on has been gone, or a cell remembers that a gene should be off in the absence of the repressive signal, and then is even refractory to active signals, and it keeps something off. So you can compartmentalize the genome and into regions that are on and regions that are off. And you say, well, you know, so what? Well, if you think about it, you have a ton of cells, <laughs> a whole lot of cells in your body, but you have muscle cells, you got liver cells, you got kidney cells, you have blood cells, brain cells, some of you, and, uh, you know, all sorts of different things and uh, more than others. And, you know, these, you have the one genome though. And so, you know, different cell types need different parts of the genome to function as that cell type. And so why, you know, a liver cell has a specific requirement of genes to be on and off that is different from a blood cell and it's different from a neuron. And so it's a way that the genome can compartmentalize things and say, okay, these are all, we don't need these anymore. So these are just permanently off, or we always are going to need these genes and these are permanently on. And then you have a whole bunch of other genes that, well, they can be on and off depending on the signals that come in. So you can have epigenetic regulation and non-epigenetic regulated regions of the genome. Well, the FSHD region is epigenetically regulated. So it is on very early in development for everybody. Everybody expresses DUX4, the gene that causes FSHD. Everybody expresses it at the four cell stage. When you were four cells old, you express um, DUX4 and then it gets turned off. And then it's off pretty much the rest of your life in most cell types. Not all of them, but most of them. Okay? And this is epigenetically off, epigenetically silenced. Okay, heavily methylated. Remember, DNA methylation is our epigenetic mark. And so if a cell wants to mark part of the genome to be silenced and remembered to be silenced, you get methylated. And that's actually the key. That's how you get, so you say, how do you remember? Right? How, does, how do you get memory, cellular memory? Well, the DNA sequence doesn't change, but the DNA sequence can exist in a methylated state, little mark on the DNA. So it can be CTAG, you know, but if the C is methylated, that's a little bit different. And so that can be marked to be epigenetically off, or it can be missing the methylation, in which case it's epigenetically on. Okay, so the same sequence, CTAG, um, and the CGs in there can be either on or off. So same sequence, different little chemical mark, big consequences on whether or not this is going to be on or off. So, so why do you have this system, right? This is, you know, I mentioned... Uh, this is compartmentalization, but it's also a way for the genome to integrate the environment. Okay. And this has been shown that, you know, for example, diet in utero or, you know, your, the diet can actually affect epigenetics. And you can see this, this is what the mouse picture that I posted on the, on the podcast advert is all about. This is some fantastic work from um, Randy Yertle and, uh, and uh, Watterson that showed what, you know, it's almost 20 years old now, but what they showed is in genetically identical mice, right? You could affect the gene expression of the offspring by the maternal diet. So if you fed a high folate diet to um, the moms, then the, the certain genes become heavily methylated. They become epigenetically um, off essentially or, or silenced or reduced expression. And these become brown mice and they're normal mice. And that's just how it is. So if you had an, had no folic acid in the diet, uh, the element is not methylated and these become, these actually are the yellow mice and they become obese and they get on spontaneous tumors. Right. And so the difference between the yellow mouse and the brown mouse, they are genetically identical at every locus, but due to the maternal diet, they have a different 
epigenetic state that has really long-term serious health consequences, right? And so, so what it tells you is that, you know, the genetics are important, but the epigenetics are also extremely important. And it's a way to integrate the, in this case, the maternal diet into the environment of the genome. You also see this in honeybees, the difference between uh, a queen and, and the workers is, you know, whether they were fed a royal um, jelly, right? And I mean, they're genetically identical insects that have very different social status and very different uh, things in the in the hive, see this in ants as well. Uh, they're, ants actually turn out to be a great epigenetic model for the epigenetics of um, behavior, because epigenetics plays a role in behavior, um, schizophrenia, bipolar, all these things. So epigenetics are important for a lot of conditions, okay? Um, but in this case, FSHD. So what's up with FSHD epigenetics? Well, in FSHD, again, I mentioned the D4Z4 repeat, where the DUX4 gene is normally silenced and methylated in, in people. Um, in FSHD, you've lost this epigenetic regulation. In FSHD1, you've lost the signal to say, um, epigenetically silence me. And in FSHD2, you've lost the ability to do this epigenetic silencing. End result's the same. You have an epigenetically different environment that is amenable to DUX4 gene activation. So when factors come in to activate DUX4, in a healthy person, it stays off because it remembers it's supposed to be off. It's an epigenetic refractory environment to gene expression. And in an FSHD, when signals come in to turn DUX4 on, like they do in skeletal muscle, it's able to be turned on because the epigenetic environment has been forgotten or been misregulated and misset, and it is now epigenetically on. Okay, so I'm always trying to think of ways to help people visualize this. And um, there's some different opinions in the lab on how to do this, actually in the household. So I'm going to go, let me float mine out first. So I'm thinking, so, you know, the idea of cellular memory is, okay, if you had a pot of water and you put that pot of water on your stove, you got a gas stove like we do, and you turn on the gas and it, it boils, and then you turn off the gas and then the water cools down and no longer no longer hot. So that's normal gene regulation, okay? Signal response, signal goes away, response goes away. Okay. So um, if it was epigenetic, what would happen is you could have, and again, this isn't perfect. So, you know, I'm just, trust me, I've been told this. <laughs> it's not perfect. And, uh, but the idea would be that if the bowl, you know, you, ha you have the water on the stove and you, you give it the signal that's going to program the epigenetic state. And as the gas turns on, it boils up and you turn the gas off and the water stays boiling. Okay, you programmed an epigenetic state at a proper point in development of the pot of water, and uh, and now it's boiling, and there's no signal, and it's still boiling, and you're like, oh, you know, of course, you, you know, go away for an hour, come back, still boiling, right? Kind of freaky, you know. So you put it into like 10, 20 different cups because you're going to spread it out, and they're all still boiling. Okay, the signal, the activity state has been maintained, and the signal is gone. Okay, you could go the other way, for example, and say maybe the water it's frozen. Okay. Uh, so you had some water, you put, and it's frozen. And if you pull it out on the counter and you let it sit there, it melts. Okay, that would be kind of normal, kind of happen to gene activity. There's a signal, it's heating up, and, and, and the response is there. If it was kind of conceptually epigenetic, you, know, you bring out a chunk of ice, and it set on the counter, come back an hour later, still a chunk of ice. You hit it with some heat, stays a chunk of ice. The, the state is remembered and is refractory to signals, okay? And so how would this relate to FSHD? So in FSHD, if we think about it, or healthy individuals, 
you know, if the if water kind of represents your genome, your DNA, water is water, you know, ice, water, steam, whatever, it's still water, H2O, right? And it's, you know, it can be in a different state. Your genome is your DNA sequence is your DNA sequence. So in healthy individuals, the D4Z4 and the Dux4 gene are more like that frozen state, you know, a chunk of ice. It's not able to be expressed, not accessible. It's just really inactive. Okay. And you hit that with a little bit of a little bit of heat. You hit it with something to kind of get it going and it just nothing really happens. Okay. It's just it remembers, it maintains it's frozen or it's, it's off its refractory state. It is, it is refract. It is, it is not amenable to external um, stimuli. Okay. That could, could change it. And so, uh, now in FSHD, what would happen is your genome, you well, it was supposed to be ice, but it didn't get, it didn't get put in the freezer when you were, when you were a really small embryo and, uh, it's just liquid water sitting there on the counter. Okay. It's the same DNA sequence, but you know, because of your, your, the deletion, you know, the ducks four genes, the same DNA sequence, now it's in, you know, there's a deletion or something. And so now this liquid genome, your water is there. Now you hit it with some, some heat. And it can heat up. It can start to boil even if you hit it with some heat because it's not able to remember. It's not able, you know, it's not in a in, in a refractory state. And so ducts four can be expressed. Okay, now sitting there at room temperature, everything's cool. It's not really, you know, it's not that much different. It's really more that because it's lost its epigenetic memory and its epigenetic state that it's supposed to be frozen, it's supposed to be off, right? It's lost that, you know, we never had that actually. It never had, it was, was not programmed epigenetically correctly to be off and refractory to, to external stimuli. Um, so now when something hits it, like during muscle or stress or regeneration or something, you can get bursts of, of ducts four because it, it is able to be activated. It is now um, responsive to signals, transcription factors, other gene regulatory factors that drive ducts four that the epigenetically silenced state would not be amenable to. The ice the ice just stays as ice. And even if you chip it into 20 blocks, it's still, still ice, okay? And so that's, one way to conceptualize it. The idea is just to get the concept, uh, you know, across and just some way to visualize, you know, different states of activity, you know, whether it's boiling water, but, you know, it's really gene expression states and the capacity. And in FSHD, it's a little bit different because it's the capacity to be expressed. That's the aberrant state. It's really the, in the healthy state, it's, um, you're, you have an epigenetic program to be off, to not be expressed and to not be responsive to signals. So whatever works for you. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I think the ice works out. Okay. So, I guess, so, so when does this happen? So, so this gets programmed very early in development in your very early embryonic development, the FSHD region mistaken, did not get programmed off. It mistakenly was allowed to be on and you are epigenetically on throughout your life. And uh, the um, in, in people that don't have FSHD, it was epigenetically silenced, and that is maintained. And this is why we can do our di epigenetic diagnostic um, research test, of course. On, on, we've done you know kids that are six months old. Your epigenetics are there when you're born, and they don't really change as you get older. Not much, not well, very little. And uh, so it's not a case of epigenetic change. It's now there are factors that turn on ducts for they're allowed now to function in that open epigenetic environment. And, and you can, that's how you end up developing disease. And in people that are healthy, they, so you're born with your epigenetic state and it's maintained throughout your life. And that's why uh, just like genetics, it's going to be similar in that respect. Um, so 
Now, of course, there are factors. You're not just like, you know, expressing ducts for everywhere uh, all the time in all your cells. There's other factors. So you can have an epigenetic environment um, that is amenable to gene expression, um, but you still need factors to come in and turn on the ducts for gene. And these factors tend to be in uh, skeletal muscle cells. That's why it's a muscle disease. Uh, you're epigenetically dysregulated in all your cells, your neurons, your blood cells, your kidney cells, your liver cells, all that stuff is epigenetically still on. Um, it's just not expressed because the other factors that turn the gene on um, aren't there. So just your state is programmed. And we actually have shown this experimentally, that if we take a skin cell from someone with FSHD, uh, they don't express ducts 4 But if we put in some myogenic gene activators like MyoD, um, all of a sudden, a skin cell will express ducts 4 You take it from a healthy person, skin from a healthy person, someone without FSHD, and you put in the same MyoD, myogenic factor. This is a, a factor that activates muscle genes. And uh, ducts 4 does not get turned on because it is epigenetically silenced and refractory to this ability to activate in non-FSHD people. Whereas in people with FSHD, pretty much any one of your cells could be activated to express ducts 4 if the right factors were there. Now, we can do that in the lab. In you, it's really going to be um, maybe in some of your um, keratinocytes, but mainly it's going to be in your skeletal muscle cells. Okay, so it's this idea of cellular memory, okay, that's mediated by... Um, DNA methylation. Of course, that's actually just one factor. There's a whole lot of other proteins and, and that are involved. It gets very complicated. Uh, you know, but again, we have this on the MyFSHD website. If you want to check it out, epigenetic gene regulation. Um, you know, it's integrating the genome into the into the um, integrating the environment. Sorry, integrating the environment into your genome and uh, programming gene expression states. Happens in all your cell types, happens in all types of, uh, of organisms, all the way down. Um, great systems to study this in are Baker's yeast, <laughs> Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It's actually a lot of epigenetic. They don't have DNA methylation, interestingly, but they have a lot of epigenetic regulation through other mechanisms. It is a universal um, mechanism of gene regulation. And that's actually one of the ways we're able to, to fund, fund studying FSHD. People have asked, how can you get enough funding to study a rare disease before the days of solve. And, um, you know, the foundations do great, but, you know, it is hard to get funding. But we've always um, shown that FSHD is a model disease to investigate mechanisms of epigenetic gene regulation. And so, therefore, even though we're studying a rare disease, what we learn about how Dux4 is regulated and misregulated and FSHD versus not FSHD, these are applicable mechanisms um, for cancer, for normal cellular development, for actually, I say about 50% of the cancers out there have an epigenetic component. Um, things like autism are, have epigenetic components. Like I mentioned, bipolar, schizophrenia. Uh, um, there's a number of imprinting disorders to get into rare diseases, leukemias. Um, all sorts of these things have epigenetic defects. Rett syndrome, what I originally worked on, is, an, is a defect in an epigenetic regulator. So epigenetic mechanisms are important for, for just <laughs> human health. And so, you know, it's a way to expand uh, the ability to, to um, study FSHD by using it. It's actually a fantastic model system. It's a model disease that's a, that, that's applicable to other diseases. So it's great for the FSHD community because it's a, we can we can leverage funding this way and and get a lot more funding for FSHD. And you know, I maybe it's one of the first epigenetic diseases. We can do epigenetic diagnostics and hopefully epigenetic cures that can target epigenetic regulators. That was the original idea. Um, therapeutically was to target epigenetic regulators in FSHD. 
and um, and see if uh, you can actually cure it. So so that's the deal with epigenetics. I'm not sure if that's particularly <laughs> clear or not, um, but just remember that it's um, context dependent, sequence independent gene regulation. You know the the environment, the, the local environment of a of a gene is what's important, and it's going to be cellular memory that you are maintaining. If it's epi, under epigenetic regulation, if a gene is epigenetically regulated, like Dux4, you are maintaining an activity state uh, in the absence of signal. Okay, and again, you know, it gets a little more complicated. Dux4, you know, the the state of the genome around Dux4 is allows it to be expressed in FSHD. Other factors come in and express it. So it's subject to both, right? Epigenetic regulation and regular gene regulation. But the epigenetics are kind of trumpet because if you're epigenetically off, then you can't be turned on by the by the, these um, other factors. If you're in the epigenetically open and amenable environment, then you are able to be. You know, another way to think of it, actually, just because you know, I could go on and on. You know, we think of uh, FSHD muscle cells almost like they're on the edge of a cliff, right? You're up on the edge of the cliff and epigenetically you're right there teetering on the edge and then some factor comes along and pushes you over the cliff. Dux4 gets expressed and that muscle cell is going to die. Um, when you don't have FSHD, you're just nowhere near the edge of the cliff and they can't get pushed over the edge. Okay, Dux4 is just not going to be expressed. So again, this kind of is the idea and, and different people are going to have different states. How many of your, how many of your cells are on the edge of the cliff and really close to the edge and how many are not? So epigenetics, you know, if you look at the website, my FSHD, um, you'll see that it's, it's, you know, I, I kind of simplify it a little bit as on and off. It's really more of a dimmer switch and you can be really off and you can be really on and you can be anywhere in between. And this is going to get to the uh, variability that we see within families, between individuals and within families little epigenetic differences. Um, you can be, the environment can be very, very amenable to expression or it can be very, very off or anywhere in between. So asymptomatic people are genetically FSHD, but their epigenetic state is much more towards a healthy state, right? You're more epigenetically off and it's harder to push those cells over the cliff and express Dux4. Whereas some similar family member, a brother, sibling, you know, sister, whatever, a mom, dad, uh, might have a, a more open epigenetic state, less methylation, in which case now they have more more cells on the edge of the cliff, easier to kind of get pushed over the edge and express Dux4. Okay. And so this is, you know, it's a way to think of it. So the question is then, um, you know, how do you, how do you end up getting FSHD if, if you're epigenetically programmed when you're born to be, and you're genetically that way when you're born, but you doesn't hit you till you're 30 or 40. Well, again, I'm thinking of this as, you know, your cells are poised to express Dux4. And, you know, one by one, they're getting pushed to express Dux4. The other way to think of it is is like a, a weight hanging um, from a rope from the ceiling, right? Every time something, one gets over the edge, expresses Dux4, a little cut in the rope, another little cut in the rope, another little cut in the rope, keeps cutting. And some people with certain epigenetic states, you know, more, more cells are going over the cliff expressing Dux4, you're cutting faster, 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 faster. But you don't notice anything until the rope breaks. All of a sudden the rope breaks and you can't reach something off a shelf, right? That doesn't mean the destruction hasn't been going on your whole life at some level. And I think by MRI, you can kind of see some early destruction in people that are asymptomatic. You're asymptomatic to yourself or maybe even clinically not manifesting, but maybe by MRI, you can see that you're having some destruction going on and some muscles are getting weaker. 
And so this is essentially what's going on. You are actually always FSHD through your life if you're FSHD. And it just may not show till later because the destruction, it's a cumulative destruction from, and, and again, this gets, this makes it very different. This epigenetic aspect makes this very different from other diseases. Duchenne muscular dystrophy, every cell is missing dystrophin. The lack of dystrophin is why you get Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And 100% cells are missing it. And so you need to put it back and you put back a little bit in each cell and, and you can actually make some great progress. It's good news. I'm an FSHD, you know, all your cells are genetically FSHD, but it is a, it's the expression of Dux4 in the very small fraction of cells uh, that causes FSHD. And so you, and everybody has a different fraction of cells expressing it. And this is kind of why you go in your bursts of uh, decline. You know, so you're fine, maybe up through your teens and going on. Well, and then maybe in your 30s and 40s, you become really affected or 50s, 60s, who knows, maybe you never get affected. You were genetically the same, you know, throughout your whole life, epigenetically actually the same as well throughout your life. But it's this different dial, this dial of uh, severity, kind of, you know, how much Dux4 are you getting is a quantitative model of Dux4 expression. More cells that express Dux4, the worse you're going to be. Fewer cells, the better you're going to be. And it's a very tight system, but that's that's the variability. And it's, in my opinion, I believe, and I believe we've shown this pretty well. Takako published a great paper in 2015 showing uh, that epigenetic differences and stability of repression are what distinguish people that are asymptomatic from people in their same family that are symptomatic. You have small DNA methylation changes, small epigen, small change in that dial, that epigenetic dial, and it and that small change though prevents or makes it harder to get pushed over the cliff and to express Dux4. And she did a great job showing this experimentally, that if we take cells from people that are asymptomatic and we stress them, they don't really express Dux4 nearly as well than if we take muscle cells from somebody who is symptomatic, a first degree relative, and they do, they get pushed over the cliff real easy. Okay, so again, this shows that the epigenetic stability of repression is gonna be the key factor in your, your, your disease state and progression. Okay, so this is epigenetics. I hope it was somewhat clear. I know that the boiling water thing wasn't perfect. Don't kill me with the laws of physics and all this. Um, it's just more of a concept of remembering an activity state in the absence of signal. That's epigenetic. In FSHD, you're epigenetically on at the Dux4 locus, and in, in non-FSHD, it's epigenetic off. Why well, I'm gonna get going? Because um, timer's about to go off and I gotta go heat shock my bacteria and let's do some subcloning. Then we're going to get online at the Friends of FSH uh, Research um, Science Talks and see what everybody's been doing. I've already put a bid on a Bugs Bunny drawing um, from Chuck Jones in the auction. Don't get it. It's mine. And uh, hey, hope you get, you know, we'll be back with you uh, later in the week uh, from Nashville doing the MDA clinical conference, talking about everything therapeutics. I hope you guys like this, and we'll catch you all later.